Oh, thank you, Mike. Well, good morning. As I came into the building this morning, I was mistaken for a visitor. But I was told I was very welcome, it's nice to see you, and there's a good preacher this morning. So I think I'll sit down and listen to him. Um, it's good to see you all again. And before I start, I've got a note from Pastor John. If you were here last Sunday, just for the sake of anybody who wasn't here last Sunday, it was Pastor Appreciation Day, which I hadn't really focused on until I got here. And um, wow, if you were there, it was quite something. As a church, there had been a conspiracy. There was a conspiracy in the church to lay on a vast feast over there of all sorts of goodies that lots of people prepared. And various gift cards were given. And the four pastors, we sort of divided them up afterwards. We did it without arguing. We were very good boys. Um, and we were blown over. Well, I was anyway. I think we felt appreciated and loved. You were an expression of God's grace to us, and we want to say thank you. And there's a note from Pastor John as well. Dear Harmony Church, on behalf of the pastoral staff and our wives and families, I want to send a huge thank you to you all for the amazing display of appreciation shown last Sunday. You outdid yourselves. We were humbled and blessed. I had no idea that such a celebration had been planned. The deacons, deaconesses, and FNF did an amazing job. The reception was exceptional. The decorating, the incredible food, and the wonderful spirit of joy in being together. The cards and gifts were icing on the cake. The pastoral staff had fun spreading the joy. We were blessed, and as one staff member mentioned, I felt appreciated, but also loved. Thanks to our elders for leading, our leaders for doing, and all of you for participating. I would use my new exclamation, outstanding. <laughs> Thank you, Harmony, for an amazing day, Pastor John, and for all the pastoral staff of the church. And I'm, I would certainly say amen to all that Pastor John's written there. <clears throat> so... Thank you very much. We don't deserve it. But there again, we don't deserve salvation. Picture of God's grace. This morning's title is So Near and Yet So Far. If you see me waving my hand around, it's because the, the gizmo isn't working. And, <laughs> uh, and so Ryan is, is, we've got a sort of hand signal thing going to, to move the slide on. I don't, so... Um, that's, that's why I'm, I'm not sort of going funny or my arm's not falling off, but that's what it's for. Okay, so near and yet so far. In Luke 15, <clears throat> we have the, par the parable of the prodigal son. When I was talking about this, my wife said, I think you've preached about that sometime recently. I said, did I? Well, I couldn't find it. Um, yeah, well, I think you did, the prodigal son. And something rings a bell somewhere. So I said to her, oh, right, um, what did I say? Um, um, um. Let's face it, we all don't retain a lot of what we hear. We've got the really, and that one's stuck, and a few others. I wonder if anything will stick this morning. I doubt it. Well, no, it might do. One or two things that perhaps will stick in our minds. 
But in Luke 15, Jesus um, meets with different people. And I just want to read, first of all, the first couple of verses to set the tone, to set the context, the audience. The tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around Jesus to hear, to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Can you can just imagine them muttering and murmuring and grumbling and sneering? Look who he's talking to. Huh. If he knew what that person was like, he wouldn't go near them. Oh, yes, he would. Oh, yes, he would. So that's the context. That's the audience. We've got the sinners, the people that everybody looked down on, the tax collectors. Well, they were looked down on because they were working for the occupying power, so they didn't go down very well with people. And then we've got the good people, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the good, religious, upright people. This is the audience. And there are three different parts to this series of parables. Now remember, just to be absolutely clear, a parable is not history. This is not fact. A parable is a story. Okay? When we want to get steeped in in biblical knowledge, we normally look up doctrine and the history of the church and good academic stuff. Jesus told stories because people understand stories. He told a story of a woman who lost a coin. And so because it was worthwhile, she went and spent a lot of time cleaning it around and sweeping and round until she found it. And then she said to her friends, hey friends, look what I found, I found my coin. And he also told a story about a shepherd. And the shepherd had a lot of sheep and one of them got, went missing. So the shepherd went off looking for the sheep hunting here and there with his crook, and eventually he found the sheep, probably put it on his shoulders and took it back and said, hey, people, I found my sheep. And then the third one, which is the one we're going to look at this morning, is a parable where there's not a coin that goes lost, not a sheep that goes lost, but a son who goes lost. Or in fact, we will see there's two sons who go lost. These are all stories. And each of these stories has got four stages. Something gets lost. We hunt for it. Or we wait to see if it's going to come, the sun's going to come back. There is recovery. I found my sheep. I found my coin. My son is back. Whoa, let's have a whoopee-doo celebration. And we'll get Ben along to lead some worship. Or Mike, or the worship green. They, have, they had a, a celebration. And then there is the point of the story. What is it that Jesus is trying to say? And there's always a point. And really, the point in these three parables is the same for all of them. Now, I'm going to read the parable, not so much of the lost sheep and the lost coin, but the lost son. But I will just say that the parable of the lost sheep, Jesus says, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than there is over 99 people who don't need to repent. More joy over a sinner who repents than 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. I don't know about you, do you detect a little note of sarcasm there, bearing in mind the audience? Who are these righteous people who don't need to repent? They probably thought they didn't. So it was very much pointed at the audience to encourage and console the sinners, those who were looked down on, but to get a little prod 
to those who thought they didn't need to repent because they're the people who are the okay people. Interesting. So what's the point? There is joy when the valuable person or item is recovered, but more than that, there is joy over a sinner who repents. So I'm just going to read this parable of the lost son. Um, oh dear, I don't know what page it's on in the Bible, but it's because your Bible is the one in the pew, is the chair is different from mine. It's Luke chapter 15, and I'm going to read from verse 11. So just, just listen. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of the country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion, ran to him, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Oh, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, come home, you kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let's pray. Lord, this is a tremendous story. With many of us are familiar with it. It speaks of the Father heart of God. It speaks of unconditional love. And Lord, thank you that these are truths that we walk in every day. Lord, as we look at this, as we think about things here, open our eyes, open our spirits, open our hearts. May we have something that we can go away and take with us at the end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, that's the story. I'm not going to go through it at great length, but I just want to ponder about these two sons.
You see, the younger son, what an insult. Hey, Dad, I can't wait till you die. Give me my inheritance now. That's what he was saying. He didn't want to wait. Now, he was the younger son. The older son would get a double portion because that was the place of the, the older son. So the younger son, I guess, would get, if there were no others, a third of the estate. And father said, okay, son. He didn't stop him. Now, remember, this is not history. This is just a story, and there's a point that he's trying to illustrate. He said, okay, son, off you go. Here's stuff, and so off he goes. But how insulting of a son, uh, of the father, that the son was able to do that. How immature and reckless he was in just being so rude and, and totally rejecting his father's love. He was a sinner. He was a rule breaker. He broke all the rules. You don't do that. He broke the rules. He broke the rules of family processes, of, of love, of sonhood. He, he, he wasn't interested in that for the moment. He wanted to throw off restraint, discipline, responsibility. The bright lights were beckoning. So off he went to Las Vegas or wherever it was. Or in 1969, off he went to Bethel Woods with his, his rainbow-colored camper. And, and he, he got in without paying. And uh, it was all right for a time while the, money, while the money was still there. But once the money runs out and that storm came down on Bethel Woods... It began to be a little bit more... Yeah, we watched a television documentary about it recently. You Americans, the things you get up to. Oh, dear. As we have it on proper authority, the British are much more spiritual. <laughs> Whose words are those? The boss. It must be right. Anyway, that's a sidebar. Sorry. The younger son went off, lived it up, and then it all came crashing down about his ears when the money ran out. Now, the older son, he was hard work. He was working. When, when the younger son came back, where was the older son? He was in the field. He was working. He's always working. He's loyal. But he's self-righteous. He's built, he's puffed up by all the good stuff he's doing. He is duty-bound. I've got to do this. All these years I've been slaving for you. Ooh. He was a rule keeper. He did it right. He didn't wander off and squander his father's property. He was there 8 o'clock every morning in the fields organizing the servants. He was there till 6 o'clock or whatever it was. He would make sure that everything was working properly, that his father's business, whether it's farming or whatever, was all going along smoothly. He would keep the rules. He did everything right. But there was something very wrong. So near... And yet, so far, the title. So where did it all end? Well, there we see. The son, the younger son, comes to himself. I like the expression, when he, comes to his, when he came to his senses. He realized he was just totally off the radar. He'd blown it totally wrong. But he came to his senses and he started making some good choices. He acknowledged his unworthiness. He acknowledged his rebellion. He acknowledged that he didn't deserve that privileged family status. So he went back, and here we see the father heart of God, which is a picture, obviously, of the way God looks upon us when we are miles away from him. He's out there looking. You know the, you know the song, Reckless Love? 
he'll kick down walls, he'll jump here and he'll go there to find us. Some people don't like that, that, that song because it talks about God being reckless. Now, I interpret that as when you're reckless, you're not bothered what the consequences are. You've got one aim and you're going for it. God had one aim and he was going for it. That's reckless love. He's not bothered about the consequences. The fact that it cost his son his life was taken into account but did not stop God from charging us down and coming to us and seeking us out. The Father heart of God. Reckless love. Remember that. If you don't like that song, look at it in that way because that's, that's a helpful way. If you think that's a bit much, that's insulting God. No, it's not. It's showing his heart of, of determination to save you and me. When we're miles away, we're still in Las Vegas or in Bethel Woods, living it up, he's looking for us, waiting. Remember that. That might be the thing some of us need to go with. Um, he came back. He rehearsed his, his, his script. Father, I have sinned against you and against God. Tick, correct. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Tick, correct. Make me as one of your servants. Uh-uh. God has no vacancies for servants or slaves. That's why the older son was getting a little bit in trouble here or was going to find things difficult. God does not have servants or slaves in that sense. He has sons and daughters. Not the people who serve under the stairs, but who are people who are the, the, the high table. We'll come back to that in a minute. The older son. Well, he's been working hard. He's been doing all the right things. He had his quiet time every morning. He went to the prayer meeting, the Bible study, joined a home group. He was in church every morning. He would sing the songs. He would do it all right, but his heart was miles away. The younger son was physically lost. The older son was emotionally and spiritually lost. They were both lost. So the older son gets an attitude. I like that expression. He got an attitude on. You know, he's a bit like the Pharisees. I'm not, this son of yours. Disowned him. Didn't talk about my brother. He talks about this son of yours. Hey, chum, he's your brother. And he was lost and he's found. Doesn't that mean anything to you? No, he never gave me a... I've been working all these... I've been slaving for you. He excluded himself. We don't know what the next line might be. Jesus had done one because it doesn't go there. But either he comes around and says, oh, oh, all right, okay. Or he says, nope, I'm not prepared to accept this. I'm off. I'm not going in your celebration. If you want to celebrate, that's up to you. But I've had enough of this son of yours. We don't know. It's, it's, It's a story. Now, being Harmony Baptist Church, the sermon would be incomplete if there was no reference of movies. <laughs> Unlike another unnamed pastor, I do not dwell in movies that came out in 1980-something or 1960-something. <laughs> How many of you have seen the movie for Downton Abbey? Whoa, quite a few. Oh, good, okay. There's, there's a lot. Go and see it. Go and see it. <laughs> As you know, it portrays life in Britain as everybody experiences it in 2019. There's one part, I won't, I won't give it the theme away, but the basic story is the king and queen come to the, come to the um, Downton Abbey to visit, and they stay there. And at one point, I won't say too much because it'll spoil it for you, one of the servants, because they've got a team of servants upstairs, downstairs, you know, the butler, the servants, the servers, 
um, the cleaners and all the cooks and all the rest of it, one of the servants, in the presence of his majesty and her majesty and the entire family, does something that is totally inappropriate for a servant. And everybody, including the king and queen, freezes and looks at him. <laughs> and of course he shrivels up. And I think he, he, he did a, tried to do a curtsy because he didn't know what to do and <laughs> backed out of the room. You've got to go and see this film. It illustrated to me the difference between the servant class and the family. The family are the ones who are having the celebration and doing all the stuff. The servants were just lesser mortals. Which group of people is God making us into? The servants who grovel and, and, and speak out of turn, or the family who sit at the table? That is not to put down servants or anything. You, you get the point. God is not interested in people who are going to grovel and work as slaves. He wants sons and daughters in our heart. He wants that attitude. So the older son, by refusing to enjoy this, reveals his heart. Inwardly, he wasn't a son. Inwardly, he was a slave. Okay, he was a son, he lived there, but in his heart, he was a slave. All these years, I've been slaving for you. Huh. He was missing something. His attitude had somehow gone wrong. He was living in rebellion. It just didn't show. They were both living in rebellion. The, uh, the younger son, it was obvious. The older son was just as much, if not more so, in rebellion. But he was still physically present. He was still doing the work. His heart was miles away. So near and yet so far. Where did it all end? Well, let's think about who was really lost. We really said this. The older son was lost. He was living in denial. And he became filled, it seemed, with bitterness, alienation, anger, and self-righteousness. They were seen to be in control. Anger, bitterness, self-righteousness. Look what I've been doing, yet you didn't give that for me. Why him? He's wasted your money. Now, again, being a Harmony Baptist Church sermon, no, nothing will be complete without a reference to a book. <laughs> we had the Bible, and this is a book by, called The Prodigal God, and it's by a guy called Tim Keller. Now, if you've never read anything of Tim Keller's, it's fantastic. Good Bible-based stuff, but one of the things that I love is that in some of his books he introduces a philosophical note and he takes on other worldviews. Fantastic. But this is Tim Keller, the prodigal God, and he addresses some of these issues about the two sons, and I've got a few quotes here. The younger brother in the parable illustrates the way of self-discovery. In ancient patriarchal cultures, some took this route, but there are far more who do so today. This paradigm holds that individuals must be free to pursue their own goals and self-actualization, regardless of custom and convention. In this view, the world will be a far better place if tradition, prejudice, hierarchical authority, and other barriers to personal freedom were weakened or removed. That's the younger son. The older brother illustrates the way of moral conformity. The Pharisees of Jesus' day believed that while they were a people chosen by God, they could only maintain their place in his blessing and receive final salvation through strict obedience to the Bible. And so that's where the difference is between the two groups. Now, older brothers, when they're 
faithfully and loyally over many years, serving in the field, doing the job, keeping the rules, getting up on time, being reliable, they, they appear to be doing okay. But you bring a sinner near an older brother and there's likely to be an explosion. As we saw here, the older brother got an attitude. Watch out. So who was really lost? Well, both of them initially, the younger brother is redeemed. On reflection, on being lost, let me read another couple of excerpts from Tim Keller. Different sorts of rebellion. Where are we? Let's get the right page here. There we go. Do you realize then what Jesus is, is teaching? Neither son loved the father for himself. They both were using the father for their own self-centered ends rather than loving, enjoying, and serving him for his own sake. This means that you can rebel against God and be alienated from him either by breaking the rules or by keeping them all diligently. It's a shocking message. Careful obedience to God's law may serve as a strategy for rebelling against God. Ooh, that hurts. Let me read that again. Careful obedience to God's law may serve as a strategy for rebelling against God. It's not saying that obeying God is rebellion. No, it's not. It's saying be careful. Watch your attitude because it can be a slippery slope to self-righteousness and superiority and old brother thinking. So those are the two forms of rebellion. In a way, it's a bit like working out your own salvation. There are two ways to be your own saviour and lord. One is by breaking all the moral laws and setting out your own course, and one is by keeping all the moral laws and being very, very good. Either way, if you get things wrong, you're trying to work out your own salvation. We can't do that. It doesn't work. The younger son's lifestyle was unsustainable. The older son was cut off, alienated from his family in his heart. They might not have realized it at first, but he was. He was cut off. Both of them are false. They're empty. They're powerless. You're still lost. So... Do I see a hand? <laughs> Nobody wants to be an older brother. Well, that's good. By the way, this has nothing to do with age or gender. We're taking that from the story from the Bible. It's to do with heart attitude. Okay? The fact that well, the older brother took the attitude and the younger brother was doing okay is fine. It might have been the other way around. The fact that they were men rather than women is fine. It could have been the other way around. Okay? So age and gender have got nothing to do with it. Um, it's heart attitude. Last quote from Tim Keller here. There are also many genuine Christians who are older brotherish. Older brotherish. If you came to Christ out of being a younger brother, there's always a danger of partially relapsing into addictions or other younger brother sins. But if you became a Christian out of being an older brother, you can even more easily slide back into elder brother attitudes and spiritual deadness. If you've not grasped the gospel fully and deeply, you will return to being condescending, 
condemning, anxious, insecure, joyless, and angry all the time. Elder brothers have an undercurrent of anger toward life circumstances. They hold grudges long and bitterly. They look down at people of other races, religions, lifestyles. Experience life, they experience life as a joyless, crushing drudgery. They have little intimacy and joy in their prayer lives and have a deep insecurity that makes them overly sensitive to criticism and rejection and yet fierce and merciless in condemning others. Ooh, ouch. Something to beware of. None of us wants to get into that older brother state, I'm sure. But he talks about older brother-ish. Can it seep in unawares over time? So, are there any ways, what can we do to try to avoid becoming like the older brother? Well, there's some suggestions. That top one has got to be the number one. Engage with the God of grace. There's another Dennis quote here a few weeks ago when we were talking about worship. He said, feel the heat. In other words, allow God to get inside your skin to impress you. I don't know about you, but some of that truth that we were seeing this morning blows me away because it is truth. How can we sit there or stand there and say, oh, oh, yeah, death lost its grip over me. Yeah, yeah, oh, God is my saviour. Okay, what time is it? (laughs) Wow, fantastic. Engage with the God of grace. Allow God to get under your skin. Feel the heat. Stop for a moment. And perhaps perhaps we'll have some homework today. I'm going to set you your homework now. Sometime in the next week, grab five minutes and think and meditate on the fact that God's love is unconditional. The Father heart of God. Unconditional love and grace. Meditate. What's that mean? Just sit, give yourself five minutes and let stuff buzz around in your mind. Because that will help us avoid becoming like older brothers. Remember what you deserve. What's the wages of sin? Death. Have we sinned? Yes. What do we deserve? Death. That's justice. We deserve death because we sinned, because we have that disease within us. We may be outwardly like the Pharisees and good people and think we don't need saving, but boy, they needed saving just as much as anybody else. It's just that they didn't realize, which is a dodgy place to be in. Now, the third one there, we know that. It's Jesus' good works that save us, not our own. But how can we somehow, if we're not careful, slip into being the older brother who's slaving away? Oh, I've been cleaning this church for 30 years, or I helped build this church, or, oh dear, I'm tired of doing a wano, it's hard work. And we get weary in well-doing. And that's not criticizing anybody in any of those organizations or anybody who did any of those things. It's just the examples that any of us, oh, I'm fed up with being a pastor of this church. You know, nobody ever listens to a thing you say. They're a miserable old lot of what's-its. That's not true, but it happens to pastors as well. It's It's easy for our attitude to slip. I do not have that attitude. It's an illustration, theoretical, (laughs) hypothetical. Amen. Thank you. Do I hear an amen? Do I get a witness? All right, good. (laughs) Um, Number four, guard your heart. Pride, moral superiority. What's he coming in here dressed like that? Hmm. 
I think I might have encountered an older brother in this church. I've forgotten whether it's a brother or sister, and I can't remember who. But on one occasion a few weeks ago, I came into church wearing a baseball cap. There was a very good reason for it. A heathen, yes. And it wasn't what they said, but it was the vibes. And I can't remember who it was. Somewhere along the line in the morning, I got some rather negative vibes about that cap. And I thought, oh dear, I hope that's not someone who is just going down the older brotherish route. Should I tell you why I was wearing a baseball cap? It's a bit embarrassing. Um, a few days previously, that, you're going to laugh. This, it's funny, but it's not. I was having a dream, and I don't know what the dream was, but I fell out of bed. You laugh. Yeah, okay, you can, you can laugh, you can laugh. I've laughed. And I got a gash here, which needed about ten stitches. So I had a great big band-aid, two band-aids, one on the forehead, one there. That's why I was wearing a cap. So, older brother, if you're here, yaboo to you. <laughs> you wouldn't have wanted to see the band-aids. <laughs> it's very easy for us to get attitudes which are not godly. To look at somebody else and say, hmm, how dare we be like that? How dare we look down on somebody? How dare those Pharisees look at these sinners and see how miserable they are and think, oh, I'm glad I'm not like them. How dare they? No superiority. No pride. No exclusivity. There is no entitlement to salvation. There is no entitlement to faith. It's all by grace. Legalism. Out the window. Pastor John tells us time and time again that we reject legalism. Amen. So let's stop trying to impress. And some, a few more as we come towards the end. Other things to bear in mind to avoid being an, an older brother. All of us are adopted heirs, male or female. Not slaves. As we said, God does not have a kingdom of slaves who slave for him hard work, toil, being thrashed and produce more all the time. That's not our God. Our God is a God of grace who is putting out that table and saying, hey, let's celebrate. You're here. Fantastic. Great to see you. Yeah, I know, I, yeah you got your speech. You got your speech. All yeah, we'll sort that out another time. Yeah, the, we'll, we'll chat it through. But let's have some celebration and fun because you are back. You were dead and you're alive. That's Father Heart's God for you when you come to him. Whether you come from a position of being an older brother or the younger brother. Um, this thing about taking offence, increasingly I think it's a choice. There are loads of things that can offend you. There are loads of things that can offend me. It's up to me whether I let them get under my skin. The only thing I want to get under my skin is God. I, by, by God's grace, resist the choice of taking offence at somebody. There will be loads of excuses to do so. You know, we're all rough and tumble people. We're all ordinary guys. We haven't got it all together. We're all broken. We know that. So we're going to offend one another. We don't necessarily set out to. It's bound to happen because of who we are. Okay, as we said in the last one, get over yourself. Yeah, take it for granted. Okay, that, that was wrong, but I'm not going to develop an attitude towards that church or those people. It's a choice that we have. Now, whatever you do, if you do anything as a Christian, in your private life, in church, whatever it may be, hold it lightly. What do I mean by that? Well, 
Let me give you an example from, from my personal experience. I was a pastor in, I might have told you this before, I was a pastor in England for some years. Uh, I was appointed to a church as pastor for three years. And then they reappointed me for another three years. And then they appointed me for another three years. So this was our living. The house we lived in belonged to the church. So no job, no pay, no church, uh, no, no house. That's what, that's what the scenario was. Towards the end of the ninth, ninth year, I began to think, I think this church needs a different style of leadership. I can see what I think things need to change, but I don't actually think I'm the guy to, to implement that. Hold your ministry lightly. So I went to the elders and said, I think it's time for me to move on. We hadn't fallen out. There was no disagreement whatsoever. They said, okay, we can see what you're saying. Time to move on. We'll work towards that. Now, that was dodgy for me because that was my income and that was my home that were on the line. So, whatever you do as a Christian, your ministry, don't grasp onto it. I could have said, but help, I've got to stay here. I've got no other income. I've got nowhere else to live. Um, now I've got to hold on to it, whatever. I can't let go. It will be failure. Hold your ministry lightly. If God gives you something to do, do it. If God says, hmm, time to move on, doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. It's just time to move on sometimes. Let go. It's not yours, it's his anyway. And it's not all about you, um, as we said. So, what is the point? Well, those are some of the points, really. Religious superiority has no place in God's kingdom. No place. There are no righteous people. You can have kept the Ten Commandments as much as you like, but you are infected with a disease called sin. You can't help it because you're born into a sinful world uh, and that disease of sin is in all of us. The things that we do, the sins, are like the symptoms, like the spots. If you get, if you get measles, you get spots, if I remember rightly. The spot, you could rub the spots out, cover them out, but you've still got measles. The spots are just the symptoms on the surface. What needs dealing with is the disease itself in your body. And what needs dealing with is the disease of sin. And that's why there was a cross with a man on it. And that's why that man was crucified. And that's why that man was put into a tomb. And then the tomb was empty. To deal with that disease. We still do sins. We get things wrong. But the disease, the power, is gone. Amen. The resurrection, we were singing about that, the power of the resurrection, it is gone. You have been translated from death to life. You are an adopted heir. You are not a slave in God's kingdom. You are an adopted heir. You don't serve God up from being under the table. You're with God on the ta- at the table. So you know, ooh, make a comment. Speak up. Hang on, dear. Can you, let's get your microphone. This is not fixed. Derek bought me a, a series to do with Egypt, a 48-week course. We're up to like 41. It's absolutely brilliant. And you learn a lot about, a, you know, a culture. But one of the things about the pharaoh um, and his slaves was if you look at um, uh, hieroglyphs, um, if you ever go and, and see these things... The pharaoh is always extremely large 
And if you see a table, if you look under the table, it's very interesting, that's where the slaves are. The slaves that do the Pharaoh's bidding, they're always very small, uh, but the Pharaoh is extremely huge. And when Derek was just speaking about that, about being adopted into the family um, and not being a slave, I was thinking, we're not the ones under the table. You know, we are with the Pharaoh. You know, we are with God as adopted sons and daughters sitting at the table um, being waited on. You know, we, we get the food, we get the stuff. Um, so it was just that picture that came to me through doing this study. You know, we're, we're not the little slaves. We are adopted into the family. Amen. I'm sure there are other people who could say far more about adoption um, who've actually been adopted themselves. You know, you take on that person's name, you take on family resemblance and, and whatever, but that wasn't what I was going to say. Thank you. Okay. I'm nearly there. So where did they got wrong? They forgot who they were. They forgot who they were. They devalued and trashed their identity. It all comes back to the, how our identity is the mainspring of our life. Their identity as a privileged son in this family business, they trashed that in different ways. They trashed it. They devalued it. They didn't live it. They lived out of they lived away from it, and they took on other identities. So, as we close, that's a question to leave us with. Are you a rebel? Are you a younger son rebel or an older son rebel? Are you a slave? You've been working away at this, and you've got a grudge against other people because you do all the work, and they don't, and they, we don't like how it's done here or whatever. Are you relying on yourself or Jesus? Who are you working for? There's some choice there, choices to make. So let's pray together and uh, don't forget your homework. Five minutes this week, perhaps to ask yourself that question. Um, are you a rebel, a slave, or an heir? Or meditate on the Father heart of God, unconditional love. Let's stand together and we will pray. And as always, if anybody wants to chat through anything, this morning, the elders and pastors will be around. Um, do please feel free to do so. Lord, we thank you that you have brought us to your table. You've lavished yourself upon us. You've given your son to save us, and you've given us an inheritance. We don't deserve it. We want to say thank you. Forgive us, Lord, when we get it wrong, where we allow attitudes to crop up. Help us, Lord, to grow in our engagement with you, Help us, Lord, to allow you into every part of our lives and being. So now, Lord, be with us the rest of this day. Pray your blessing upon us. Um, and may we this week just meditate on the goodness of what it means to be a child of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You are dismissed. Don't forget to take your shoeboxes with you.